Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. So let me call our attention to that book, the book of 1 John. This series will go from today until April 7th. There will be 14 messages that we're going to preach from this series in 1 John. There's an emphasis that is on the book of 1 John, and that is the proclaiming of the word of life. As we look at the book of 1 John, and we, as we began in this opening series, uh, we're going to be looking this morning at verse number 1 down through verse number 4. But before we read that, I want to give us a little bit of background of uh, the book of 1 John. The authorship is, of course, John the son of Zebedee, or John the Beloved. Uh, the same author as uh, the Gospel of John, uh, the same as, of course, Second John and Third John. Uh, he is the most likely candidate because of the similarities in the writing. Uh, there were figures like Polycarp that had quoted or cited. 1 John in his writings, and knowing history, we understand that Polycarp was around 100 A.D., so we know that if he cited in his writings the writings of 1 John, then John's writing had to be prior to uh, 100 A.D., so we're, uh, we're placing this book somewhere uh, before the uh, 90s A.D., uh, most likely it was short, written shortly before A.D. 67, uh, around in that area. But it was definitely before 100 A.D. because, once again, Polycarp had uh, cited First John in his writings. John used a particular way or a particular writing style. His writing style was basically paragraphs. Uh, he emphasized ideas in each of the paragraphs. So for that reason, we will be uh, reading the text and covering those sections uh, as far as the paragraphs and the things that John was dealing with in those paragraphs. He wrote for a purpose. He wrote for a reason. His reason in writing 1 John was for assurance. I guess if we wanted to look at the key verse of the book of 1 John, we would consider 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 13. John says this, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life, 
and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Understand that John is writing his book for assurance. He is writing this book to give, to give believers assurance. The popular way today of reading the book of 1 John is that it is a series of tests. That's not what John intended for this book. It's not a series of tests to see if you are or to find out uh, whether or not the book is written to give those who are believers assurance. And it is written to defend against those that are bringing false doctrines and heresies in among God's people. First John is full of matter-of-fact statements. It's not questions. He's making statements. These statements are matter-of-fact statements. John never asked the Christian to test themselves, though they are to test others. The things that we, the, the fact of matter statements that we find in the book of 1 John will test others, but it is not to test the child of God. It is to give assurance to the child of God. The book of 1 John in its writings was in somewhat a similar time as we even face today. And we'll understand more of that as we consider some of this. But I want us to consider this, if you will. Think about it this way. You've grown up knowing and believing one thing. You've grown up knowing and believing one way. Someone comes along and turns your world upside down. You believe what they are teaching to be the truth along with many others who become followers of that teaching. About the time that this this following grows to a multitude of people, there is persecution against that following. With that persecution, there are a number of those in that following that turn back to what they one time knew. You're left with the question, are they right? Or am I right? That's basically where John's at. That's basically what's happening in the book of 1 John. The, the Jews were being taught one thing. Jesus comes along and Jesus turns the world upside down. He teaches them the truths of the grace of God presents unto them the love of God, and he turns their world upside down. There are a multitude of people that began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They began to follow the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is crucified. He's buried. He arises from the death. 
He ascends back to the Father. The church grows by multitudes and by numbers. And the following grows. And the movement grows. And there's persecution that comes in. That persecution disperses the churches. It disperses the believers. Part of those that professed believing return to what they one time followed. They go away. There's a reason that John made the statement, they go out from us because they are not of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained. There's a reason he makes that statement. There were those that came alongside of those that truly believed. And because of hardships, they turned back. They really didn't believe with all of their heart. They did not believe what Christ was teaching. And it was easy for them to turn back. You find that in the book of James, do you not? You find that in the book of Hebrews. Where, was that not the same thing that was going on in the book of Hebrews and the book of James? They were, the, the writers of the book of James and the book of Hebrews were warning them not to allow these false teachings of these people that were, were turning back to be brought into the church. So that's where we find ourselves in the book of 1 John. With that being understood, John is writing to those who have remained, to those who are still part of the following of the Lord Jesus Christ, to assure them of the teachings that Christ has taught. That's the emphasis of 1 John. It is not to test those who are believing. It is to point a finger to those who are turning to heresy. It's, it has nothing to do with you being tested. It's assuring you in your your, your stand in Christ. It is to combat heresy. There are several things that were taking place. There was sinner and thism, which was a denial that Christ had come in the flesh. They attempt to unite the doctrines of Christ with the opinions of the Jews and the opinions of the Gnostics. That was what was trying to what they were trying to creep into the church. Then there was Gnosticism that was going on, which was a belief system that essentially teaches that physical things are evil and only those things that are are sacred are are, are, are those things that are good. Then there was the uh, Docetist. They taught that Christ only appeared to have a human body. That he had not really suffered. That he had not really died. That he was not really human. Well, if you and I know from Scripture, this presents a great deal of problems. But the main problem 
that exist from this and the main problem that comes about from this, if Jesus Christ was not human, if he did not take on flesh, if he did not become man, then Christ is not and could not be our high priest. He could not be our high priest that was touched with the feelings of our infirmities if he did not truly take on the form of man. You and I know that that's untrue. You and I know that he is our high priest. You and I know from Scripture that he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, that he does make intercession for us, and that he is our great high priest. So John is writing what he is writing And his purpose in writing the letter is to assure his Christian readers of their right stand before God. He's writing that considering the the dramatic split that has just taken place among the followers that had followed Jesus Christ in their community. There's There's a great falling away, if you will. There's a great turning back. And John is writing to remind his believers and to assure them of what they have and where their standing is before God. His letter isn't intended to test its readers. It's not intended to test the readers of their faith, but it is intended to assure them that they have already passed the test because of their belief in Christ. That their belief in Christ is sure. And that belief in Christ being sure places them in a right standing before God. John's statements that we will consider must be understood in the light of two things. If you are a believer, he is assuring you with matter-of-fact statements. If you're teaching heresy, he is combating you with matter-of-fact statements. These matter-of-fact statements are, are serving two purposes. It is giving assurance to the believers, and it is combating against those that would teach heresy. Now let's read... 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 1 through verse number 4. And we'll try to walk down through these verses of Scripture this morning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifest... And we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father and manifest unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, what? That your joy may be full. 
If we begin to walk down through this passage of Scripture, we understand that John is revealing, if you will, in verse number 1, he is revealing the word of life. He is telling us that the word of life is in a person. There's a person that is revealed. He says here in verse number 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. He's going all the way back just as you have to do. He's going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. He's going all the way back to the beginning. And he's going all the way back to the creator that we find in the beginning. And that creator is God. God created the heavens and the earth. He says in the beginning, which is profound, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You and I know that he's resounding here what he's already said in the Gospel of John. John takes us back to the time in eternity past to meet this one which was from the beginning. He says here, that which was from the beginning. That, 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 that was already existent before there was a beginning. That was already there. there. There never has been a time that God has not been. God has always existed and God will always exist. And God, uh, John is reminding us, he's taking us back to that point and he's reminding us of who we're talking about. We're talking about God, the creator of the universe. He's taking us back and, and into that time past and he said, I want, uh, I want to remind you that God was, was before the beginning. That which was, he says here, that which was from the beginning. And then he gives us confidence that is conveyed throughout this verse. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which our eyes, we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word God. Of life. The interesting thing here, he said, these are things that we have heard. These are things which we have seen with our eyes, things that we have looked upon, things that our hands have handled. He's reminding them, he's taking them back and giving them that assurance. These are not something, this isn't something brand new to you. This is something that you have. Heard. This is something that you have seen. This is something that you have looked upon. This is something that your hands have handled. What is it? The word of life. John knew some things for sure, and he wanted to convey that confidence to the others that were around him. He wanted to give them that same confidence that he has himself. 
Clark puts it this way. He says that John is making this statement. We deliver nothing by heresy, nothing by tradition, nothing by conjecture. We have had the full certainty of all that we write and preach. That's what John was saying. He said, I'm sure of what I'm telling you. I'm sure of it because I've seen it. I've heard it. I've touched it. I've looked into it. The idea of the eternal subject that John has been, he's, he's audibly heard. He's heard God. He's physically seen the Lord Jesus Christ. He's intently studied. He's looked upon. That's what he's talking about here when he said, he said, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. He's talking about that intently studying, that looking into. It has become a tangible thing that he was able to touch. He said, we've touched it with our hands. We have handled it. This is true. This is not something to turn back from. This is the truth. Be assured of this thing, that this is the word of life, that it is God, that it is the Son of God. It is as if John said to everyone, this word you have been talking about and writing about for centuries, well, we have heard Him. We have seen Him. We have studied Him. We have touched Him. You can believe me when I'm telling you He is real. And it is true. And there is assurance. Why? Because it's something we've seen, something we've touched, something we've heard, something we've looked into, something we've studied. We know this to be true. So let me tell you about him. That's what he does in verse number one. He tells you he is true. Verse number two, he said, now let me tell you about him. If, if, that, doesn't, if that doesn't give you full assurance, let me tell you a little bit about this person we just talked about. He said the word of life was manifested. Look at what he says in verse number 2. For the, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. He's talking about the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. John isn't telling us about the Word, he's telling us about the fact that He came. And that He not only came, but He came for a specific reason. And the reason that He came was for us. He came for His own. He came for those that would believe upon His name. He told us about the incarnation of Christ. He talks about the eternal life. He, he begins to explain that eternal life. He does not just come to us, but He brings us to Himself. 
He's not only, Jesus Christ not only came, but He brought us to Him. Look at what He says. He says in that last part, and was manifested unto us. Jesus wasn't just born and said, now everybody come look at me. He came to where they were. He chose them. He picked them out. Just as He did with us. He came to us. He chose us. He picked us out. He picked us out. He picked us up. He gave us the truths that we could hold to and cling to until we spend eternity with Him and are able to physically see Him. He gave those assurances. He, he manifested Himself to us. In fact, he, he tells us in one other place in John chapter 17 and verse number 3, Jesus defined this eternal life. This eternal life that John is talking about here, Jesus defined in His prayer in John chapter number 17. He said, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is eternal life? That you know God. And that you not only know God, that you know Jesus Christ, whom He sent. He came, but He came to us and He manifested Himself unto us. What happened to you and I? Jesus Christ came to us. He came to this earth. He bled. He died. He rose again. He ascended back into heaven. He comes to individuals on a daily basis and manifests Himself to us. If Jesus Christ had not manifested Himself to you, you would not believe. Why? Because you were born in unbelief. You would not believe had He not manifested Himself. You didn't wake up one morning and say, Aha, I believe. Jesus manifested Himself and your jaw dropped to the floor and you said, He's right. He manifested Himself unto us. He gave unto us eternal life. He not only gave us eternal life, but John goes on to tell us in verse number 3 that He also gave us the gift of fellowship. He tells us in verse number 3, He said, that which we have seen and heard. He, he continually talks about that seeing and hearing. He said, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also might have fellowship with us and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. You know what John's telling you? You know what John's telling me? He said, if you don't have enough faith to believe right now, you just believe what I believe because I've seen Him and I know it to be true. So you come on with me until you can believe yourself. John's given us that assurance. He's emphasizing that fellowship. He's telling us that our fellowship is with Him. And it's with Him because of the fact it's with the Father and with the Son. Do you know the reason why you and I can fellowship? 
around the gospel because our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. We fellowship about the same things. Why? Because we have the same things. Because we know the same things. Because we've seen the same things. Because we've heard the same things. Because we've, decla- we've looked into the same things. And we've handled the same things. We've been able to, to see by faith what Jesus Christ has done. And because of that we have fellowship with one another. That's what John's declaring to them. Calvin says it this way. He says his repetition is so that nothing might be wanting as to the real certainty of his doctrine of Jesus Christ. Again, he's telling us that John's repetition is so that there is nothing that might be left wanting as to the real certainty of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, as one who has had personally seen and heard the Eternal One. John again assures his readers that his testimony is absolutely reliable. When you go to court and someone takes the stand who is an eyewitness, everyone takes that person for true. Why? Because they were an eyewitness. John's saying, if you don't have enough, understand, I was an eyewitness. I saw it. I touched it. Tangibly, I touched him with my hands. Spurgeon goes on to say this. See how the Apostle John does hammer this nail as if he will drive it fast. How he rings the bell that it might toll the death of every doubt. He's he's driving that nail that, that that faith might be held fast that that assurance might be held fast and that every he's, he's ringing that bell that, that every doubt might fly away. What is the meaning of worship that we see here? The word fellowship speaks of sharing. It speaks of a communion. It speaks of a common bond. It speaks of a common life. John is saying, I'm writing this to you because you have the same thing. I'm giving this to you that you are assured because you have the same thing. It speaks of a living, breathing, sharing, loving relationship with another person. You have the same relationship I have. You have the same fellowship that I have. You have the same communion I have. We, you and I are the same in Christ. John is once again giving them assurance. He says, he gives us the spectrum of that fellowship. He gives us the vastness of that fellowship. What is that fellowship? Is our fellowship just with John? No. He said truly that your fellowship is with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. 
We can say amen to what John is saying here, but we can say it even more emphatically, understanding that our fellowship is not just with John. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. This is a simple but bold statement that John makes. And that it means that you have a right relationship with God. This idea would, would surprise many of John's readers. And it should astound us. The mindset of fellowship was restricted then and most of the times it's restricted now. But the idea is that you and I have a fellowship with John, with each other, and more importantly, that fellowship that we have together is in the Father and in the Son. Get a hold of this, and if this doesn't give us assurance, I don't know what would. You and I currently have an intimate relationship with the Creator of the universe. He's just not off somewhere and we're here by ourselves. We have an intimate relationship with the Creator of the universe. Every breath you breathe, you have an intimate relationship with the Creator of the universe. John said, I'm telling you all of this and I'm instructing you in all of this for this purpose. Look in verse number four. These things write we unto you, what? That your joy may be full. He's telling us that we have this fellowship. He's assuring us that we have this fellowship. And he's assuring us that we have this fellowship for this purpose that our joy might be full. What did Jesus pray in John chapter 17? He said that their joy may be full. John's just telling us what Jesus prayed for us. Jesus wants our joy to be full. Jesus told us when he went away in John chapter number 14, he told us when he went away, he said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus said, I'm giving you my peace. Can you imagine how peaceful Jesus is in his relationship with the Father? Really, understand how peaceful the relationship of the Son and the Father are together. What did Jesus say? He said, I've done everything that you asked me to do. He went to the death on the cross. He cried out, it is finished. And he did all of that for this purpose, that he would leave us his peace and that he would give us his joy. John said, these things write we unto you that your joy might be full. John is telling us all these things so that our joy might be full, overflowing, abundant. Not, not, just, not just up to the brim, but overflowing. We can be assured 
of the gospel and the truth of the gospel in the joy that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that reason, we proclaim that eternal life, that, that, that word of life and that eternal life that John's mentioned here, we proclaim it today. Rather than taking 1 John as an opportunity to look inward at ourselves, John is saying, I'm taking this opportunity that you look outward to Jesus Christ. He is pointing, pointing us to Christ. He's not pointing us to, um, to ourselves. He's pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does that throughout the book. Why? To give us assurance. Because the only sure assurance that we can have rests in Christ. And in Christ alone. There is no other assurance. We have faith in no other. We have assurance in no other. That assurance is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been told us here this morning over and over again. We can't do it. But it's also been told to us that Jesus has. And John's telling us the same thing. He's giving us that assurance that Jesus has. And because Jesus has... And because Jesus has peace and joy and assurance before the Father, and we are in Christ, are we not? That's what Paul tells us. We're in Christ, and if Christ has peace with God, you and I have peace with God. If Christ has full joy in the Father, you and I have full joy in the Father. If Christ has assurance of the Father, then you and I have assurance of the Father because it is in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. John saw it. John got it. John said, I seen it, I saw it, I held it, I looked at it, I looked into it, I studied it, and I walked away with full assurance. And I want you to have that same full assurance. But if you don't have it, just stick with me. I'll keep, I'll keep reminding you. Do you know what that's, what that's what we come together for every week? To remind ourselves again of the assurance that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have full assurance. And that assurance is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.